All right, well, good morning, Anthem. Um, yeah, as Matt stated, I'm Chris. I'm the college director here. Um, and I get the privilege to, to preach this morning. Um, off the bat, just want to, maybe it's not an elephant in the room, but I'm going to make it an elephant. I'm a little nasally. Um, I don't have COVID, though. I can assure you. I got a test and everything. So uh, I just wanted you to recognize that I recognize, and I wanted us to recognize that, um, that we're okay. So we are going to be in First Peter 1, 10 through 12 today, though. And just as I was mining this text out this week, um, just seeing the magnitude of our salvation in this. You see the first three words here uh, in the text. It says, concerning the salvation. And that's what we're going to see today is, is the, the magnitude of our salvation. It's, it's incomprehensible. The, the, the salvation of our souls. And, and nothing, nothing will ever be greater than pondering this reality. Nothing for all of eternity will usurp that, will be above that, the, the reality of the salvation of our souls. And, and the question is why. I think a, a part of the, the why is contrast. And, and so what I mean by contrast, right, it's contrast, it's, this, it's difference. It's the state of being different, but you're kind of like next to each other, right? So, so when things are contrasted with each other, you look at kind of the difference between them. And there is glory in contrast. And, and I would actually argue that there has to be contrast for there to be glory. And when I say glory, I mean like awe and, and, and beauty, and magnificence, right, right, honor. I would argue there has to be contrast for there to be glory. And there's a book called Out of Silent Planet. It's by C.S. Lewis. And, and in this book, there's a, there's a man, his name's Ransom. He goes. He gets shot up to this far-off planet, and he's he's on this planet, and he looks around. And he just sees the, this beautiful lake, and and these flowers and these trees. He just sees all these beauty, and he, and he smells this beauty, and he feels this beauty around him. But the thing about the lake is, is in the lake, there's this shark-like thing that that hunts the beings that are there. And so Ransom is talking to this being that lives there. And, and that being is actually saying that he's thankful for that shark-like thing in the waters that hunts them. And, and, and Ransom's a little confused, and, and he asks him why. And, and he, he says, look out. Here's what he says. I do not think the forest would be so bright, nor the water so, so warm, nor love so sweet, if there were no danger in the lakes, right? The contrast. See, the, the danger in the lake actually it reveals the beauty of all of this. Uh, and another way to illustrate this is my mom is a, an amazing cook. She's a really good cook. And I didn't realize the extent of how good of a cook she was until she dropped me off at college with my brother and she drove off and I started cooking by myself. So I ate chicken and rice, and chicken, and rice, and chicken, and rice, and it was bland, and I just wanted quantity, and somehow my mom mastered the ability to do both quality and quantity, 
and I just do one, and it's quantity, and that's all I know how to do. Right, but I, I had just been, for 18 years, my mom had cooked everything for me. It just came so naturally. It's like, this isn't, just throw some spices in there, turn the oven on. Right, and, and I didn't understand how great of a cook she was until I contrasted it with my cooking. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Right, you see in, in contrast, there's glory, there's awe, there's honor. And God's plan A for salvation is this beautiful story of contrast. That's why I say the magnitude of our salvation, it's incomprehensible. But why? What's the contrast in our salvation? Why, why is it so magnificent? Why is there such magnitude to it? Going back to verses 10 and 11. Says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The, the, the prophets, they searched and inquired about this grace that was to be yours, talking about salvation. And they, they knew there would be salvation. But, but they had this longing and this yearning inside of them to know who is it going to be and when. Who is it going to be and when? It says concerning the, the person and the time. Right, and this wasn't, when it says they searched and inquired, it wasn't this just like scholarly, heady study. It was this passionate longing to know, this passi- passionate search in their prophecies and other prophecies to try to piece together, who's this going to be? When's it going to happen? Right, and we see this all the way up to John the Baptist. Right, and when you look at the Gospels there, John the Baptist being the, the last prophet, he, he sends some disciples to Jesus and he says, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? We're looking we're looking, we're passionately searching, we're inquiring, we're trying to figure out who and when. Because they knew there would be salvation, but, but the question is, why were they so infatuated? Why, why did John the Baptist care? Why were the other prophets infatuated by this? Why did they care? Why did they passionately search this out? See, they... They knew that their prophecies w- would culminate in salvation and, and God showing his faithfulness to his people, but they couldn't see how. And, and here's, here's some of the prophecies that we see. I'm only going to go through five. There are hundreds in the Old Testament, that prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. Here's some examples. Genesis 3.15. And I do this one because this is right after the fall. Right after, after Adam and Eve take of the fruit and eat it, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And talking about a savior coming and, and bruising the head of the serpent and, and redeeming people. This is immediately after the fall. Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him 
and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. So they're looking at the tribe of Judah. They're like, okay, he's going to come through Judah's lineage, but who and when? And Jesus would. Jesus would come through the lineage of the tribe of Judah. But they're asking who, when? Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right, we see here the, the immaculate conception, the virgin birth, Jesus fulfilling that. Being born of the virgin Mary. This is a prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah 11:10. In that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. People will be able to look at him and see. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. He's going to come through the root of Jesse. People are going to look at him. Who and when? Who is this going to be? When's he going to come? And then I think one of the most profound and significant Prophecies, Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 10. This is talking about the Messiah here. Again, they don't know exactly who. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us, of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth catch verse 10 here this is talking about Jesus he didn't speak he didn't push back he didn't fight it Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. So here's the thing. Nothing is greater than this reality. Uh, the contrast of a bloodied up whole sa holy savior for the salvation of undeserving souls. The contrast, the fact that we are unrighteous and declared righteous. The contrast of the fact that we're unfaithful and we are continually pursued by one that is faithful. The contrast that while we were still sinners, Christ showed his love for us in that he died for us. That contrast is magnificent and glorious. Because we, we, we look at Jesus who was, who was God, sent down to earth to be with man, 
And not only that, but he would die for man. That has magnitude. And, and, and as the prophets were minding this out, they eventually realized what you see in verse 12 is, is they weren't doing it for themselves. They were, they were doing it for us. They were doing it for you. They were doing it for me. They were giving us prophecy of the living hope to come, but, but they themselves would not be able to get the full picture. But we can. But, but you can. You can get the full picture now. We can see God's plan for salvation through his inspired word and him dying on the cross. Guys, this was God's plan from the very beginning. And that should shake us. God's plan was this amount of contrast to glorify himself in this way from the beginning and that should shake our reality. That God would come for our salvation. The salvation of our souls. So, when, when things aren't going right, maybe what we need to do is we need to take a step back and, and breathe and get a right perspective on the most important reality of our entire lives, namely our salvation. Right, and I use the word perspective intentionally. Right, because when, when, you, when you look at perspective, you, you need contrast to get perspective for something. Like, for example, if this, if this room was like completely bright white everywhere, floor, ceilings, walls, everywhere behind me, you wouldn't really be able to have much perception of where people are at, right? But, but the, the contrasting of the 47 different shades of gray in here, they help me see that the, the back wall is that far away and that's that far away. The, the contrasting colors help see that. It, it, helps, it helps me get a perspective here. So, so what we need to do when things aren't going right, when things are getting hard, it's, it's taking a step back and, and, and looking, okay, what's the most important reality of my entire life? Salvation of my souls. And get right perspective on that. Get right perspective on our salvation. And, and the magnitude of that. We can't even begin to comprehend the fact that a holy, perfect God would come die for us. But we can try to grasp it a little bit more, mine it out a little bit more. See, we get perspective and, and we look to God and we look at, that, at the glory that is to come. See, the interesting thing about glory in this passage, though, is, is what comes right before it. Look at verse 11. It says, when he predicted the what? Sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. The, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. Suffering precedes glory. Suffering precedes awe. Suffering precedes 
honor. Suffering contrast. Right? But doesn't that go against the, the cultural narrative? Not just the cultural narrative, but what our hearts want. Of suffering is not good and suffering is not necessary. And anything that impedes on my comfort is not good for me. Isn't that what we feel and what we see all around us? And, and then that can bleed into our faith and, and make us ask, should I experience discomfort as a Christian? Should I experience suffering as a Christian? The answer, simply put, is yes. And, and when I say suffering, it's, it's kind of two-part. One is just circumstantial. And I think whether you're a Christian or not, you experience this type of suffering that's just, we live in a fallen world, and you're going to experience suffering of, of losing loved ones, going through hard situations, losing jobs. There's that suffering that, that all of us are going to experience. I would say we as Christians, we have a hope to cling to with that. So there's, there's circumstantial suffering that the, the Bible doesn't say we're going to avoid when we become Christians, but it's, it says that we have a hope to cling to when we navigate that. And then there's suffering from sin. And, and here's what I mean by that. In denying your flesh, that is a sort of suffering. Denying your fleshly wants and your fleshly desires. 1 Peter 4.1, it says, Since therefore... Christ suffered in his flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same way of thinking. Christ, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin because, because that is a sort of suffering, is denying what the flesh wants. Right, so... So the question is, what are you going to do with that discomfort that you feel? The discomfort that you feel when you choose X, Y, Z. It's, it's a suffering that is before you that could be to the glory of God or to you leaning into your own selfish desires. What are you going to do with that? When, when you have the urge to, to watch pornography, what are you going to do with that discomfort? Right, because suffering precedes glory, and a lot of times we forget this, and we put glory before that, and it's like, that's too hard, that doesn't make sense. But suffering precedes glory. What are you going to do with that discomfort? What are you going to do with the discomfort of wanting to lash out at a spouse? Right, that is denying yourself. That is a sort of suffering. What are you going to do when you invited someone over and you do not want to be hospitable tonight? but you need to deny yourself and be hospitable and invite someone in? What are you going to do when you need to put down work and spend time with your family and lead and spiritually guide your family? What are you going to do when you need to break up with someone because it's not a spiritually healthy relationship for you? There is suffering in that. And the Bible does not dismiss that and say well, there will not be suffering, but it says there is glory to come. But there is suffering before that glory. There is discomfort before that glory. The question is, do we want to suffer 
Or do we want to lean into our own desires? Or are we going to ignore those things? What, what are you going to do with the discomfort? The question is, what did Christ do with his? What, what did Christ do with his discomfort? We see it here in Hebrews 12. Is this one on the screen? Maybe not. Uh, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So run with endurance. How do you run with endurance? Looking to Jesus. That's how you run with endurance. Looking to Jesus as you're suffering, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set, that was set before him endured the cross. He suffered on the cross, despising the shame, and is glorified and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But he had to endure that suffering. He had to go through that discomfort to get to the glory. See, we look to Christ not only for our, our salvation, but for our example of suffering in the pursuit of glory. We look to Christ not only for our salvation, but as our, as our example of how to suffer in the pursuit of glory, in the pursuit of God, saying there will be discomfort. You are in this flesh right now that does not want to do what this Holy Spirit wants you to do. But we have the perfect example in Jesus who completely denied himself for us, for our salvation, so that he could have relationship with us. Back to the, the quote a little bit earlier with the C.S. Lewis, I think a different version of that is that, I do not think the glory so sweet if there were no suffering at all. Right? He's saying, I don't think the, the, the water would be so beautiful, the flowers, the, the smell, if, the, if this wasn't, if there was no danger in the lake. And I don't, see, I don't think the glory would be so sweet if there was no suffering, no endurance to get there question is, are you going to deny yourself and choose that? And here's the thing too, we don't suffer alone. We don't suffer by ourselves. We fight this flesh with the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves but you and the things that had been announced to those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. See, we don't, we don't suffer alone. We suffer as a part of the body of Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, giving us endurance, helping us look to Jesus. And, and, and not only that, God's plan A for salvation the one from eternity past that we look at, that we see in Genesis, is now being carried out through you. God's plan A is being carried out through the Holy Spirit in you, sent from heaven. When you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you become a part of the body of Christ. Through the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, and then you preaching that gospel, spreading that gospel to those around you. God's plan A is you. God's plan A is your messiness. 
It's a beautiful thing to take part in. And, and it's something that the angels, the angels long to look at. You see that at the end of verse 12 there. The angels long to look at, they long to look down at, at the glory of God going forward in a fallen world. How are they going to do it? What's he going to do? They long to look at God's glory going forth through faithful servants denying themselves. God's plan A is you. As we close, just some practical questions. What are you suffering and giving up? And maybe a better way to put this question is, what discomfort are you experiencing because you are a Christian? Not just the, the circumstantial, but because you are a Christian specifically, what discomfort are you experiencing? If the answer is nothing, I would want you to sincerely evaluate, are you a follower of Jesus? And I say that in the most love. But if you're not experiencing any discomfort, any denial of yourself to follow Jesus, you're not serving him as Lord. So what, experience, what, what discomfort are you experiencing as a Christian? And, and, and just that we remember that, that God's plan A is being carried out through you guys in this room. And, and we can look at that salvation or in, in the same way that the prophets searched and inquired about it. We have the, the word of God to search and inquire daily about this and, and, and understand the magnitude more and more and, and just passionately pursue this and enjoy and, and others see that through you and in you. And maybe you're here and you're like, how do I take hold of that? Right, how do I take hold of that salvation? I, I, that question of do I feel discomfort is like I actually don't feel any discomfort. I've never given up anything for Christ. There's been hard things. How do you take hold of that? Romans 10, 9 says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. And then continue to gather Continue to come here weekly. This is, this, as we gather here, we gather to realign and get a right perspective as we're sent out into Columbia, Missouri and onto Mizzou's campus and Columbia College's campus and Stevens. As we gather here, we, we get right perspective of our salvation, right perspective of Jesus, and, and we're sent out. How do you take hold of it? Continue to get community. And when things aren't going right, continue to get perspective on your salvation by looking to God's word in prayer, in time with Jesus, in community. Get a perspective of the magnitude of the fact that a holy God would come and die for you to give you new life and have relationship with you and with me. Let me pray for us. God, I praise you for this truth. And it's something that we, we truly cannot comprehend.
a loving Savior coming and dying for us. Lord, we can't comprehend your love, but I just pray right now that we would just have a little bit more of a glimpse into the height and depth and breadth and length of your love, Lord, your love that surpasses knowledge. It says it right there in Ephesians 3. We can't understand this love, but I pray that we get a little more of a glimpse into it today. And we walk out of here a little more in love with you and, and with a little more perspective of our salvation. Pray that you would just soften our hearts, Lord, to deny ourselves and choose you and choose glory in you, not for ourselves, but for you. Praise you that in, in Jesus we get life and we get relationship and may we continue to seek that and just have a healthy perspective of what that looks like. Pray all this in your holy name. In the name of Jesus, amen.